Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for ninety nine ninety nine. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Of course, uh, Locke's, uh, he's the radio voice of the Utah Jazz. He's our friend David Locke. Hi, David. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing? We're wonderful. And, uh, David, I want to I want to start here because Gordon and I talked about this a lot in the 3 o'clock hour. I thought you made a, a very insightful comment when we were doing crosstalk on the broadcast yesterday talking about Joe Ingles and, uh, and Quinn Snyder putting Joe Ingles in for closing time. Will you, uh, for Big Show listeners who maybe, maybe didn't catch it, will you kind of reset what you were talking about there? Because I, I thought you were right on the money. Well, the bigger picture concept is, and I don't know this because I haven't talked to Quinn today, so I don't know if this is true. So this is kind of a um, me just guessing. But the the bigger picture issue is the concept that these coaches coach for an 82-game schedule and to have this team together in April and hopefully in May and maybe even in June rather than always trying to win that given night. We as fans are watching on Twitter, particularly watching games, given it being that night. Um so last night, Joe's 0 for 6 and struggling, and Royce O'Neal seemingly is doing a pretty good job on on Kyrie Irving. seemed like a prime night for the possibility that you might decide to not finish with Joe Ingles and instead that you close with Royce O'Neal. Turned out Joe did a heck of a job on, on Kyrie and you know used his length, and his length is, is incredibly valuable. Um, but I think the bigger picture item was that there's a you know kind of an understanding between Joe and Quinn that, hey, I'm going to take you off the bet you're going to come off the bench, but you're no less important to us than you've ever been before. And you're still a vital part of this team and you'll still play the key big moments. And at that moment, you know, this is that faith that Quinn has on Joe based on, you know, his three years of commitment and their connection and what Joe's purpose is in the locker room, or is it based on a given night where he's over six? And so, you know, if Quinn, benches Joe last night to close the game and goes to Royce O'Neal, which he has done in other circumstances this year where there, Royce O'Neal had an assignment and he left him out there, you know, maybe you're beginning to chip away at that faith that Joe has that you're saying, hey, I'm on your side and I asked you to come off the bench, but you're still super important to us. And maybe you're chipping away a little bit of Joe in the locker room. And so, you know, the bigger picture is let's send Joe the message that you're still super important to this team and send the message to the locker room that Joe's still super important. And then he goes out and does the job. And even, you know, even in the sense that you're trying to win a game that night, but you're also trying to hold the team together for 82, Quinn got the best of both worlds. Speaking just at the offensive end about Joe, uh, David, is this just one of those little offensive slumps players go through sometimes, or do you think he's adjusting to his teammates? What's going on with him? Well, there's a few things probably. One is, uh, probably, wow, there's a lot. All right, so until last night, the only thing that was really different was that his off the bat last year, which has always been a little hit and miss with him. Um, and he, he kind of gets a rhythm as the season goes on. His catch-and-shoot stuff was just as good. Um, that was not the case last night. He didn't, he didn't hit the catch-and-shoot either, and so that's going to change his numbers because we're dealing with a small sample size. But generally, that's been the case. He's also getting a little bit different looks. He's getting more off-the-bounce threes than he's getting um, catch-and-shoot threes. Um, then the other one is if you actually go back and look at last year's numbers, and I don't think I have them, when he was playing with the ball in his hands and uh, – playing the pick and roll with Joe with Derek favors all the time. And we actually, he actually didn't shoot very well. Like if you actually dug into last season, um, it wasn't great. Um, and I'll see if I can find it. Um, 
But when he was on the floor with Derek Favors without any point guards and he was playing point guard, he actually didn't have very good numbers because he can't pass to himself. And so he wasn't getting great looks out of that. It just was a circumstance where it works for the team, and so he did it. This year, I would say there might be something a little similar to doing to that, that he's, he's running the offense a little bit without anyone, you know, who's as good as um, Derek Favors. And then Emmanuel Moutier and Jeff Green are not big passers. So it might not be an environment where he's getting a lot of great looks. David Locke with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The other thing uh, Gordon and I have talked a lot about today, we, we did it in the 4 o'clock hour where we actually walked through Emmanuel Moutier's story, and he came to this country as a, as a young boy from Africa, what is now the Congo, where his mom actually came out a year and a half advance of them and then brought uh, he and his brother out here to this country. And uh, we, we went imagine? through the part of the story. I, I can't. I mean, it's, Could you it's imagine so amazing. 18 months of your life in a war-torn country, bouncing from family to family, not knowing if you're ever going to see your mom again? Uh, wow. And, and imagine if she didn't have the courage to do it, David, and, and that would have changed his life forever. I mean, can you imagine what it would take for her uh, to do that, to get a better life for her family? I, I mean, I think it's remarkable. And, and the point was is that this guy combined that with the fact that he could have gone somewhere else and started, but he wanted to get to be a better player, and he came to the Jazz to develop and to work on his game, and he got some advice from his agent to take the minimum deal with the Jazz and become a better player. This guy is so easy to root for, and if he succeeds, the truth is it's going to be mutually beneficial for everybody involved. Yeah, I mean, and he's really got to, you know, I thought it was interesting the other night Quinn got asked before the game, about him bringing a scoring punch off the bench. And he's like, I just want him to be a play. I don't want him to be a scorer. I want him to be a player. And that's probably the, you know, as much as last night was a great scoring night for him. And he can certainly do that. Um, that's probably the biggest thing that they're trying to get him to adjust to is that his instinct is that every single time he gets the ball, he drives to the basket, beats his initial guy and then plays from there. And there are times in our offense where that's the right thing to do. And there are times when that might not be the right thing to do. And I think that's a, um, that's a big part of of what they're trying to get him to develop in the process is an understanding. Um, you know, there's no past possessions. Even if you make the shot, they're not great. Uh, and so, you know, how do you get him to, as he begins to learn when to pick his spots? Um, and and he does play with better tempo um, than we generally do, which is good. The team needs to pick it up a little bit in the tempo realm. Um, so he's, you know, he's kind of learned his game. It's, He's he used to go to the rim a lot and not finish at all. Now he kind of picks his spots, and the drive last night was terrific. So that was a great game last night by Emmanuel Moutier. Um, I haven't gotten to know him much as a person. He seems um, he seems very nice um, and seems you know uh, can, like the guys have a good time around him. He's in a he's in a pretty good mood all the time. Um, they seem to like having him around. He's good. He's joking around. So. Um, I'm sure hopefully he's enjoying himself because it is, it is a tremendously different role for him than he's ever had before. If you look at what's been asked of him in the past and look at his kind of career load, this is, this has got to be really strange for him because he started 66 games his first year, 41 his second. He was oft injured that year. And then even in New York last year, you know, he starts 45 games. He's played 27, 28 minutes on average, takes a lot of shots. Um, his rookie year, he took 13 shots a game. Last year, he took 13 shots a game. And now, all of a sudden, you know, we're we're asking him to play a little differently. Um, and so far, he's done a pretty darn good job of it. Uh, I think we've been positive with him on just about every single game on the floor. Yeah. By the way, I, I one agree. note, back to our past conversation. 
Uh, Joe Ingles is shooting five percentage points better on the from the field and from three if on the floor with Mike Conley. Oh, interesting. <laughs> All right, David. So this might be true for some of the other better teams in the West, but I think it's certainly true for the Jazz. Should it be intimidating for opposition of the Jazz the fact that they are eight and three right now, and probably that might be nine and three after the game at Memphis? and they're not even hitting on all their cylinders yet. Um, I mean, they're good. That's, I mean, if that's what you're asking, I think they're really good. Um, and we're going to, you know, I, I think that they can, I think they can get better. Um, it's going to take some time. Uh, our shot composition is really kind of messed up right now. Um, makes me uncomfortable. Um, and I think I understand why every single one of our guys thinks they're a scorer because they have been at some point in their career. And so when they get open in the middle of the lane, they, their thought is to shoot. And so we're going to have to get them to play with their eyes out a little bit more than they're playing right now and, and see how they see if they can adjust like that. Um, it's, it's not an easy task to ask these guys to do that. So, um, you know, I, I think, I think the offense will come around. I'm pleased with the defensive rebound. The offensive rebound has been a little bit better recently, as is the um, uh, as is the uh, lack of turnovers. So that gives you a chance. Um, I, I mean, I think we're really good. I, I'm I'm not. I don't. I, I want to see the shot composition get back to where it should be. It, it, it kind of where it is right now makes me a little uncomfortable. David Locke with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David, the kind of main storylines uh, thus far in the, the Jazz season have, have changed a little bit, and some have been a bigger deal than others, whether it's uh, you know Mike Conley struggles at the beginning to uh, the preseason narrative of the defense was going to struggle to rebounding for a couple of games. But my question to you is, what is the biggest storyline with the Jazz right now that's flying under the radar? Uh, probably not to us. Flying under the radar. Well, I mean, I just think the biggest storyline, and I think maybe the rest of the league hasn't grabbed it yet, is the defense. Hmm. I mean, it's huge. And I mean, I said the year started, if this team can still be a top five defensive team, they're going to be the number one seed in the West. I, I didn't think that they'd be the number one defensive team in the league. I mean, there were 11 games in the season. They're the number one defensive team in the NBA. Like, I didn't. Like that's crazy. Like, and and that's playing. Like, I mean, it's not that crazy if you looked at the numbers and you listened and you knew it was paying attention. That Rudy Gobert, when he's been on the floor with a stretch big, has actually always been the for a longer sample size. Has been better defensively than he was when he's on the floor with Derek Favors. But you still thought losing Derek Favors would have an offensive impact. Right now, it's been the opposite. Um, now is that going to last forever? We have not played, you know, of the elite offensive teams in the league. We've not played Dallas. We've not played Boston. We've played now played Brooklyn and Phoenix. They're three and four. We've played not played Houston. We've played Milwaukee. I mean, we, so we've played three of our nine games are against or three of our what are we, ten games. So three of our ten games are against three of the top six offenses. We've played the Clippers twice. We're tenth once without Kawhi. Um, so, I mean, we've played some not very good offensive teams that maybe are inflating this a tiny bit. I don't know if that's really true. I'm trying to just say that to say it's not actually true at all. Of the bottom 10 offensive teams in the league, we've played Sacramento twice, who's 20th, and we've played Oklahoma City once. Otherwise, we haven't played New York, Orlando, Memphis, Atlanta, Charlotte, Chicago, Denver, Cleveland, who all suck offensively, or, our, or ourselves, who's actually in that group. So I, I, I may be trying to keep a little, 
you know, I'm, I'm worried about the shot distribution. I'm trying to keep some calm here for a minute, but I mean, there's a real chance that things are going really, really well right now. But if when you looked at this when the year started, if the defense was going to be elite, then this team seemed like it was really destined to be the number one seed in the West. And so far, the defense is elite and in the first half of the games, which it was not last night, but still for the season, it's so much better than the rest of the league. And there is kind of a general feeling in the league early in the year, particularly what your defense is in the first half of games is what your defense is, because then you play the score after that. Last night was a little different, but our defense in the first half is a lot better than the rest of the league. So let me ask you a little bit about last night's game defensively, David. Obviously, you guys keep asking me these night- questions to try to get me like you keep asking these questions to try to get me to commit to like overwhelming optimism, and then I walk in and like Vince Lagarza, who's six eight, beats the crap out of me, and Johnny Bryant tells me I'm putting too much pressure on, beats me up, and you know you're gonna get me beat up in the back. Of, uh, I'm up at the back of the practice facility, all bruised and battered. If you guys aren't careful. Well, I appreciate your realistic approach and breaking it down the way you do. But in last night's game, they're coming back from playing the Golden State and all that, and the defense, by their standard, was relatively poor in the first half, but it gets better as the game goes on. How, If you're tired, if the fatigue is a factor, how do you get better as the game wears on? Well, I think you're playing the score. and Like, you got to suddenly play, right? Um and I think that's what happened last night. I mean, the the defense in the second half was was pretty remarkable against a really really good offensive team. And in the first half, they you know we got in you know we got in two thirty and everybody got to bed at four, you know or three thirty or four. So um, you know it's just you're not quite right. You're playing back in the back to back. The west east west to east back to backs are always brutal. And the, you know the, I thought last night was super impressive because that's just a game you don't usually get. Um, it would have seemed pretty easy for me to, but, you know, it didn't go right. And the, as Quinn kind of said after the game, I thought the the overall competitiveness of the group really showed, which is pretty amazing. The Jazz defensive rate in the second half is an 86.8. I mean, that's incredible. 86.8 against the team's third best offensive team in the league, whose offensive rating is about a 114. So and they can conjure it when they need it. They can conjure it. Man. Right, it and, just, it, it's, and that's a little bit of the reverse theory of what first halves mean. Is first halves, you play defense, you get up by 15, and then you just kind of let it, you know, then you let the game roll. And so if you can score, they, you let them, you know, you're playing just trading baskets at that point. Um, and and that's why some people really think that, you know, the Warriors used to be the, like, number one defensive league in the first and, first and fourth quarters, and it was because they played hard in the first quarter, and then they waited till the fourth quarter if they had to again. Um and that's, you know, I don't think that's entirely what we're doing here. But um, it's, it's, you know, even after last night, I think if you look at first quarter defense, which is our starters against their starters, supposed to be what we're not going to be great at. We're now number two in the league defensively after last night in the first quarters with only Chicago being better. Um, but like not even like Chicago is kind of a crazy 91.6. And we're 93.8. And the next closest is 96. So, um, you know, I. I think we might be really good. I, 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 our first half defense is a 94, the next best in the league, and a 98, and the league average is a 104. We're 10 points better than the league average defense in the first half of games for 100 possessions. It's crazy. 
Uh, David Locke, finally, uh, from me anyway, before we let you go, um, how fun was it to have your dad doing stats for you uh, the other night when uh, they were taking on Golden State? And I know you, uh, you, uh, you expect a, a high performance from that position on a, on a game-by-game basis. So I guess uh, give your dad a grade. Um, well, he's my dad, so it's an A-plus. He's my favorite person <laughs> in the world. Um, he probably gets a B. He's pretty good. He's not. He's not the worst I have. He's probably not as good as some of the best I have. Um, that game didn't lead to a lot of stats, um, so I'm not sure we ever found out. Um, but he's a. It's an. It's a special treat. I got. I got lucky in life on that one. So um, fun to have him around. And you know, Jake, the next one you'll be impressed by is if he can pull it together. We're, our All Star break this year is a three generation helicopter skiing trip. Oh, oh cool. awesome. Yeah, that sounds so incredible. 80-year-old 80, 80 dad, my kids, and me all going just running over Ruby River for three days and uh, going helicopter skiing together. David, I've had the privilege of meeting your dad. He is an impressive individual. Impressive. He's, he's a good one. I haven't met many smarter than he is, so I was fortunate in that regard. However, though, you you talk about me asking you questions that get you in trouble. That question you just asked, Jake, I mean, if if David had had a weak moment. (laughs) Didn't handle it right. Yeah, if he had remembered back to maybe a a point when he was a teenager when his dad may have disciplined him, and so he came up with a low grade, he would have been in real trouble right now. Right. Yeah, Dad and I always got along. Um, Dad and I did it pretty well. We only had two fights our whole lives. So I did all right. Um, I just I just like that we had a Harvard man on the broadcast. What? Uh, That's right. <laughs> well, he, you so know, you know, there was no pressure. No pressure being raised by him. You know, he only went. He went to two schools: Harvard and Stanford. <laughs> Both not sounds bad. Like, sounds Sorry. like a slacker to me. Uh, what What Sorry was the it. nature of the fight, David? What in the world did you do oh, geez, to get Gordon, your very very reasonable dad angry at you? Uh, one of them was I was not applying to good enough colleges because I was not a good enough student. How's that? The other one, I'll leave private. <laughs> uh, David, uh, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Uh, look forward to uh, talking to you on the uh, on the pregame on Friday. I look forward to it. Talk to you guys soon. See you, David. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz.